Welcome to the Sustainability and You podcast, a series of interviews focusing on facts shared by passionate advocates who are part of the movement towards net zero. I'm Josephine Bush, and I'm the founder of the Sustainability and You platform. And I'm Tilly Wickens, the leader of our Young Ambassadors Council. In this podcast series, our aim is to raise awareness, encourage collaboration, and join the dots between disciplines that will influence policy and decision-making as we move to net zero. We are aiming to bridge the gap between silos and generations, strengthening the lines of communication with a small, influential community of people who care and are passionate about how we create change. Today's guests are Carl Berlin, Head of Tax at Orsted, and Carla Hoppe, founder of Rethink Tax. Carl has deep and rich experience in tax, working for multinational companies such as Maersk Drilling, before moving to his current role as Head of Tax at Orsted. He is passionate about the role of tax in supporting the race to net zero. Carla began her career as an international tax advisor for two of the largest accounting practices in the world. Carla is passionate about educating young people on how tax works, empowering them to get involved and get informed. She is creating a community of young people who are curious and developing confidence in talking about tax. I'm really excited to bring these two powerful advocates together to explain the role of tax within the sustainable agenda demystifying hopefully some of its complexities and promoting its positive role in supporting green policy objectives. Welcome Carl and Carla to the Sustainability and You podcast. Great to have you both here today to join Tilly and I, where we explore the role of tax in the support of the energy transition. I wanted to start, Carl, if I could, with a look at Orsted's journey. It was previously known as DOM, and it's been an incredible journey, really, since the early 2000s, when it was a coal-intensive power generator and expanding its oil and gas production. Today, you're a green energy company, not just any old energy company, but you're one of the largest globally and leading in particular on offshore wind generation. You've reduced your carbon emissions intensively over the last few years and your market cap exceeds BPs now. There's been a lot of talk about that. And I think you're probably one of the best examples of what it means to transition as a company. Orsted recently published a paper on its journey through the transition to a greener business. I thought that would be a great place to start, to really get behind that journey and hear, in your own words, what that has been like and the support of the tax department on that journey as well. Yeah, so well, first of all, thank you for the warm welcome. It's it's uh, really interesting to, to be participating in this pod. Sustainability is something that I, I'm extremely interested in and it comes natural uh, to me to to be interested in that, I think, working for Orsted. But as you said, looking back 10, 15 years, uh, Orsted or Dong Energy, as it was known uh, back then, and Dong stood for Danish Oil and Natural Gas, was a very fossil fuel uh, intensive business. We were state-owned. We were a utility. We had um, 
expanding oil and gas operations in the North Sea. And, and I think we were probably the blackest utility company in, in Europe, and if not the world. And the company could just see that this is not a sustainable business model. We're not doing the right thing, uh, simply put. And, and we decided that, that we needed to transform ourselves completely. As an energy company, that meant that we should be in that business, but transform towards green energy. And we decided that offshore wind was the bet that we wanted to go for. And, and I think it was a pretty daring bet, but, but looking back, it was absolutely the right thing to do. We've converted most of our uh, heat and power plants to, to biomass. We've divested the oil and gas business. And, and we've, we've turned around the company completely into, um, into a leading renewable company. And, and yeah, we're the market leader on offshore wind when it comes to installed capacity. We've now also entered into onshore wind and we're looking into green hydrogen and, and clean waste management and so many other different things. And um, it's been an absolutely fantastic, very rewarding journey. Uh, not very easy, obviously. And, and um, when you look at what was tax role in this, Obviously, it was to support the investment decisions that we needed to make and the divestment decisions that we needed to make with very thorough and solid tax review and tax input to, to these decisions. Also, applying the corporate ethics of the company as we decided that we wanted to be a sustainable company, that also meant that we wanted to be sustainable in everything we do, including taxes. So when we were looking at the choices that you can make when you apply and interpret tax legislation, we decided that 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 also has to apply for for tax to be sustainable. That is so. So I think in in our role as tax department has been to show that sustainability can certainly play a role in tax, and we can conversely then support the business in the sustainable choice by supporting the decisions that that need to be made. And we'll get into some of the detail of what that might look for you. But before we do, perhaps we could pull in Carla here. Carla, Carl has alluded to his role or his department's role in the support of Orsted's strategic journey to a greener future. If we take a step back and look at the role of the tax system and its purpose in the support of policy and other objectives at the national and global level, uh, if we just focus on that principle, can you share your views on what you think that could or should look like? Sure. Well, first, thanks to Josephine and Antelie. Thank you both for inviting me to take part in this podcast, and it's great to be here with Carl. I guess um, if I kind of think about your question, and I take it from the perspective as um, sort of the founder of Rethink Tax, which is a, a purpose-led organisation on a mission to kind of educate young people particularly about how tax works and why tax matters. And I play that into the question you've just asked, which is what's the purpose of tax in supporting a national agenda around sustainability? For me, it goes to the heart of the question of what is the kind of society that we want to live in and how can tax play its part in building that society? So I think it won't go unnoticed to anyone um, that, of course, the question of sustainability is high on the agenda, not only for the UK government and our counterparts across Europe, but, but also from an international perspective, this is really front and centre of a lot of this sort of international debate. And I think the question of how we build a sustainable future, in my mind, has to include the question of 
what role this practice has to play in supporting it. And just like Carl said, I think it is a question both of what practice can do to support business decisions around sustainability, but in on the flip side also, how can we make taxes themselves more sustainable? And I guess there's a question as to what that might look like and, and perhaps you can go on to discuss it. But but that's the take that I take on it. it it's a bigger, bigger picture question for me about what kind of world we want to live in and who can help us get there. Yeah, and there's a, an important principle that you talk about there, Carla. Let, let's maybe focus on that, which is the sustainability of taxes themselves and reliance that are placed on certain taxes to create a more stable investment landscape, which is incredibly important in the green sector and the energy sector, the infrastructure sector, quite frankly, more broadly. What are your views, Carl, on how we create that sustainability within the tax system? I mean, for instance, certainly in the UK, there's been a lot of criticism of how, in particular, green taxes have been used as a political football, and and we don't have consensus across parties, across the time horizons that enable that stable investment landscape to be uh, leaned upon when making long-term investment decisions. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think the absolutely most important thing for an investment decision for any company is certainty, certainly around what rules apply and how they apply and, and when they apply. That is one thing. Then, of course, if you want to look at what kind of investment decisions you want to support, if we take these investments that we make, they are massive into green transformation. And when I say they're massive, I mean, they, they really cost a lot of money. So we need to fund these investments. And one way of of a tax system to support these kind of investment decisions is to make sure that you have stable and and good depreciation rules so that you, for tax purposes, for example, can can depreciate your investment or your assets. That means that you can get access to cheaper funding. That, of course, means that in the the first period of of your investment, you don't pay a lot of tax, but you will will pay more tax as you've paid off your, your funding needs. If we look at some depreciation, schedules around the world, you'll see that if you have, um, like the UK, for example, if if your asset is, is not long life, you have very good depreciation. And offshore wind being a very young uh, industry, most of our assets don't qualify as long life. The more experience we get and the better we get at planning and the better we, the better material we get and the more, ex- yeah, the more experience we get, the longer the life will be, which is good for the environment and and for for the countries. But that also means that the depreciation we get gets a lot worse. So funnily enough, building it better will make it a lot more expensive to fund and reduce the competitiveness of these longer life wind farms. I think that's a disconnect. And then another thing, as you mentioned, of course, uh, green taxes, from a personal view, I can say that, well, most of the heavy polluters don't pay for what they pollute. You may have duties and, 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 and levies, but really heavy polluters are often exempted or pay a, a reduced rate as a support to that industry. But again, there's a complete disconnect between the agenda of, of the green transformation and maybe the companies involved in the green transformation don't get those kind of rebates. When you look at hydrogen, for example, there is no often no difference in the duties levied on green hydrogen and black hydrogen, but companies using a lot can get a rebate on pollution, which to me seems a bit counterintuitive. 
And perhaps we could look at that in two parts, because the former part of your answer was around, let's say, consistency in tax depreciation rules, but more importantly, around clarity, clarity of interpretation and shared views between the tax authorities and the tax player on the interpretation of tax rules, a really important sort of point to explore. The second part of it, I think, around the cost of externalities and who bears that cost is a really interesting one, isn't it? Because there's something there about the tax system being an instrument of behavioural change. Yes. Uh, if you tax the, the polluter, then they'll change their behaviour and the investment profiles will change as well as a consequence because there's a cost, a cost that people will want to avoid which hopefully encourages innovation as well, which is a positive side to what the tax system can, can force. But if we start with the, the, the former bit of that around clarity, because sometimes the view can be that tax is black and white. You know, there's a right way to do things and there's a wrong way to do things. And tax can get a little bit of a bad rap when it's viewed as people doing the right thing and taking advantage of rules that are there to encourage investment or like tax depreciation rules, etc. It's not tax avoidance, it's legitimately taking advantage of rules that are there to encourage investment. What more do you think tax authorities could do working with taxpayers to create greater clarity? And I'm sure, Carla, you'll have a view on this as well, so please do interject. Tax is not black or white. It's, it's very grey often. It's, it's law, so it's up to, to interpretation. And the interpretation um, can vary. We see it uh, in in many places that you have differing interpretations between courts and 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 authorities. You can have differing interpretations between national tax authorities. And how do you deal with that in a cross border situation? That is especially the case when it comes to transfer pricing. Sometimes I think uh, tax authorities take a very fiscal approach. Among all these grey outcomes, some companies may look for the grey outcome that, that reduces their tax bill the absolute most, whereas some tax authorities may look for the grey outcome that maximises the tax revenue the most. I don't think that's the right approach. I think even though it's it's a grey zone, if you really try, I think you can often find the, the policy intent behind a legislation. So what did you want to achieve? So when you make an investment decision and you look at the options you can you you have for a for a trained tax professional and you, you can sometimes I mean with a bit of work you can see well this outcome is yeah you can probably interpret the law as allowing for that but that was clearly never the intention of the of of, of the politicians to allow for that but if you yeah you, you you can squeeze into that and then you say well is that a sustainable choice I. I don't think it is. And we've decided us that no, it's not. If if it's clearly not within the policy intent of the of the legislator, that is not the right choice. And I think the same goes for tax authorities. I mean, maybe they should also take a step back and say, so what was the policy intent uh, behind this legislation? Not just what can we catch if we really, well, maybe they're not squeeze, but 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 stretch <laughs> the legislation. And then the more I mean, yeah, it's a cliche almost, but but the more globalised we, we become, I think it's very important for tax authorities to try and align on, on the international tax framework, especially transfer pricing, and, and maybe take a less fiscal approach and, and, and see if, if, if you can find agreement that is a bit more tangible than just the 
for example, OECD transfer pricing guidelines, because they can they can also be maybe not the most clear instrument you can you can find sometimes. And of course, clarity and certainty for a company uh, super important to have access to um, to effective dispute resolution. And I think uh, binding uh, arbitration is an absolute must-have because there are instances where tax authorities, tax authorities simply cannot agree. And in that vein, Carla, do you feel that we need more examples of how tax authorities will interpret tax laws and rules? And to Carl's point, where there are grey areas, the more examples that can be put in front of the taxpayer that evidence the intent of the law, what we call the spirit of the law. Yeah, so it's an interesting point, and I kind of totally understand and, uh, and understand the challenges that are faced by a business like Carl's describing and trying to balance competing needs of, on the one hand, having to manage uh, sort of global operations and make sure that you're sort of doing the right thing in all, all of the jurisdictions that you're operating in, and on the other hand, trying to kind of work with authorities where there are those sort of greynesses over how you interpret the law. I suppose I, I sort of reflect on it, and I think the key part of what you mentioned, Carl, was this issue around policy intent. And I step back again, sort of the 30,000-foot view, well, who sets policy intent? Because to me, that is a question of national government making clear what it is that they want the law to achieve uh, and I guess you know uh, if I was calling for change in how the tax law is created at both an international level and a national level I think keep plank of creating greater certainty is to have more adoption of roadmaps so clear tax roadmaps that set out long-term strategy and articulate aims of how a company country, sorry, is going to achieve its uh, strategic objectives in any given field. So when we talk about sustainability agenda, you know, where is the 10-year plan around what any sort of country is doing and how they're going to use the system as a means to getting there? I think that gives a layer of clarity to discussions then that can be had amongst businesses and tax authorities when it comes to interpreting those laws, because it already sets out the intention from a policymaker's perspective. I think there are maybe two things that can help with that. And and the first thing is around the importance of, of white papers, green papers and, and preparatory works. Uh, when, when you create tax legislation, what is it that you want to achieve with this piece mm. of legislation? That is one thing from the government side. And then I think companies can help as well by having a clear and and, and public tax policy available, which should be anchored with the board of directors. And I think that what we see many companies are doing right now, and uh, as are we, uh, public country by country reporting, where we show how many employees do we have in this jurisdiction, what's the the salary cost, uh, what companies do we have there, and, and what profits do we have there, and what do we pay? That is a way that we can show how we see that the tax system works by, for example, yeah, do, do we pay tax according to where profit is or where value is, is generated? I'm really glad you you mentioned what in my mind is the magic word there, Carl, and that is the public, because I think there are at least three players, I think, in the question around what do we want the tax laws to kind of achieve, to do as part of the journey 
towards greater sustainability. And I think those are the government in whatever format that's taking, national or international. Um, there is business as a sort of player in the in the overall economy, but critically, I think you must include the public. And I think there really needs to be greater awareness, understanding, and education of the public around how tax applies in certain jurisdictions. And so you see some of the reports that you just mentioned that you do produce. It's a helpful, I think, uh, means of just shining a light on, you know, okay, we have X many people in just a jurisdiction. This is how much tax we're paying. This is because of the operation of tax laws. I think that's one side of it. I think the other side of bringing the public closer to these conversations is actually it's a means to an end. We want better clarity around the the overall objectives on the sustainability agenda. We want better understanding from the public around you know what tax can be used for in order to achieve those goals. But but also we crucially, I think, want the public to be bought in to the overall aims. Because I think if they're not, then it doesn't really matter how hard business tries to change or how much government might want to change. I think fundamentally, Parliament across all countries make laws based on, you know, the, the, the demands of the voting public. And, and if the public isn't close to the agenda, I don't believe we will see change at the speed at which we, we, we really need. I think that's where the roadmap is incredibly important, Carla, because it firstly shows where the tax system supports policy objectives. And if we think about it as a jigsaw, you can see where tax fits. We're all cognizant of the fact that a certain amount of revenue needs to be raised in order to fulfil <laughs> and the public purse. Um, which has certain sort of policy objectives that will absorb <laughs> absorb the monies. The other side of that is, so it's not, you know, it, there is a revenue raising aspect to this, but it's not the only purpose of the tax system, as we've we've alluded to. The other side of it is, and there's been a call for this, which is, well, a you can see where the, where where tax is supporting those policy objectives. There's a little bit of public buy-in, but also understanding the purpose and impact of a particular tax. What's the impact of it, and how does it actually contribute to environmental objectives or otherwise? Because there's a lack of transparency, to my mind, around that. And also, we've talked before about tax as a force for good, but what good is tax doing within the green agenda? How is it encouraging investment? How is it encouraging innovation? So we can tell that story as well to the public. It's not just about energy costs rising. What we really want to be doing is telling a a sort of more holistic story about the role that tax has to play in society. And I totally agree There, there are there is, of course, the revenue-raising agenda when we talk about tax that, that you cannot deny. But actually, for me, there is a much more exciting conversation to have about how can tax support greater innovation and greater, um, uh, I suppose, more rapid um, innovation in this space. And that's something I don't think a lot of people have much of any awareness of. And, and I think it's a great shame and actually something that businesses like Oxford, I guess, and others can help to change the narrative on by showcasing what it is they're doing and by making those policies, different policy and other policies publicly available. So, so I, I totally support 
the idea of, you know, just having a, a, a the greater public debate around the good that that can do in this space. How do you think we communicate that in a way that is sort of accessible? To, I'm interested in both of your thoughts on that, actually, because you've sort of directed that towards Carl, and I think that's the right thing to do, and I'm interested on what your primarily what your thoughts would be on that, Carl, how you would communicate that through through business and make that information more accessible and sort of shift that narrative. That is such a huge question. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I, I can maybe reflect on it a bit. I mean, previously I worked in oil and gas, um, the company I worked for. We, we were in oil and gas before, and I could see that was maybe the, the last great tax policy work from governments, especially around the North Sea, on how do we support something that we want to see uh, thrive. And that was the oil taxation regimes that we saw that was really supportive of that, of the extractive and, and oil food services industry uh, to be able to, to, to get the hydrocarbons out of the ground and, 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 and well, fuel, pardon the pun, uh, fuel the economy and, and, and fuel societies. That was probably fit for purpose back then. Uh, we still have those great support systems for the oil and gas industry, but but the green transformation is just taxed as yeah whatever business. So if you if you're a startup, for example, you have the same kind of measures that we've seen coming with the OECD G20 work around base erosion and profit shifting, where you wanted to attack uh, tax avoidance, like tax evasion by by certain uh, individuals and certain companies. But if you're a startup and coming up with 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 something fantastic and green, you risk not being able to, to deduct your interest costs. Uh, you risk all kinds of uh, punitive tax measures. So that is not supportive of how you can grow. And and for us, I'm, I I don't think I or the wind industry are really asking for something for special treatment. But but looking at at this disconnect between the green policy agenda and, and the tax policy agenda um, or the lack of a coherent tax policy is, is probably something that, that is worth looking into. And how do we communicate it to, to the broader public? Maybe I could I could use an example that 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 comes from Austin. And that is it might become a bit technical. So, so do interrupt if I if I do that, but but I'll try to to not be. But under EU legislation, EU member states had to introduce an anti-tax avoidance directive, which uh, contained CFC legislation. And CFC legislation is a piece of legislation that is intended to have an effect if a parent company in a member state establishes a subsidiary in a low-tax jurisdiction with a purpose and moves intangible property to that low-tax jurisdiction with the only purpose of, of avoiding tax you disregard that entire arrangement and tax all the profits back in the parent company jurisdiction anyway, which I think is great because that ensures level playing field and, and ensures that you can't just move profits around to save tax because that's not really a valid commercial purpose. When Denmark was to introduce this legislation because it was in the form of a directive so they could choose how to implement it, we could see that the way Denmark wanted to encompass everything that could potentially be tax avoidance we could see that, hey, all of our wind farms across the world, where we have thousands and thousands of employees, are in the risk of being caught by this anti-avoidance legislation. There is no anti-avoidance in, in establishing a subsidiary in the UK and employing a thousand people and building seven wind farms. 
but nevertheless, it will be caught by this anti-avoidance legislation. So we did something that not many companies have done before. We went public and told the politicians and, and did it openly and transparently that this piece of anti-avoidance legislation will harm the green transformation. And you can, you can implement it in a better way so that you, you hit what you want to hit, but you don't, I mean, harm what you don't want to harm. And um, I mean, eventually, uh, politicians and, and, and Treasury listen to us and say, well, you, you've got a point. I think at first the reaction was, that, yeah, well, you can't make an omelette with it without breaking a few eggs. But <laughs> eventually people and, and, and we got a lot of media on it and, and, and people from within the business and from outside the business who are not typically interested in tax, they could see that this is a real-life example of how tax interacts with, with business and other parts of, of, of policy. And, and now the, the, what is going forward in, in the parliament now, in the Danish parliament, is actually an amended proposal that will correct the problems that we identified. And, and we will see uh, a piece of CFC legislation that, that will stop this harmful tax avoidance, but will not um, harm normal commercial operations abroad. It's a, it's a great example of leadership and the influence of non-state actors yeah. uh, in gaining clarity and, uh, on, on policy objectives. And, and I think we could do that um, because we were so open and transparent. So we had our public country-by-country country reporting. We have a very progressive tax policy. We pride ourselves in, in paying tax where value is created. So we felt that we do have a mandate to participate in the debate uh, and people will actually listen to what we have to say because we don't have a hidden agenda. And we also did this, I mean, lobbying, if you want to call it, I would say uh, uh, participate in the, in the tax debate. We did it very openly and transparently, so it was not anything behind hidden doors and, and, and stuff like that. And on the point of transparency and reporting, it, it brings me quite nicely to the the role of ESG reporting and its very fast evolution over the last year. There's definitely a thought process and a call for tax to play a more prominent part within that uh, as a, one of the pillars of reporting. It's certainly not mandated for at the moment. Do you have a, a view on that? One risk if you mandate something from and how you should report is that you get a one-size-fits-all and and people and companies will just do it by duty and not by passion <laughs> if if you if you get what i mean but if you get an external pressure or internal pressure from your employees and external from investors and and civil societies that we want to see what you're doing on this areas then you'll get something very real i think i can see the value in it in that if if investors increasingly look to long term strategies that deliver alpha for investors and your tax strategy is very much aligned to that it's providing evidence isn't it of support in of your strategic initiatives and i guess maybe you could say well if you participate in public procurement that a requirement can be that well you actually need a, a tax policy or you need public country by country reporting investors will come and say well look, we want to see your tax policy and want to see it in action by public country by country because that's the only way we can we can determine whether you walk to talk as well and to determine whether your tax positions are robust and sustainable. I wonder if I might jump in just to kind of 
sort of reflect on the fact that I think what we're, we're collectively talking about is almost like the ecosystem that sits around how tax policy is designed and the influence that tax can have in sort of public debate on the future of issues like sustainability. And it strikes me that a number of the sort of examples you've given, Carl, are, are, are sort of great examples of how business can communicate with its stakeholders. So be they, you know, analysts in a mm. listed environment who then in turn will talk to the media who in turn are talking to the public. Similarly, you mentioned talking to the government and having, you know, conversations, constructive conversations with mm. relevant members of policy-making bodies in order to influence their agendas accordingly. And I think, you know, for me, there's this cycle, right? I think, Tilly, your first question was around how can we communicate what are inherently complex conversations around the operation of tax laws in a way that hit home to the public if we believe that we need the public buy-in for this to be a truly successful transition, energy transition. I think for me, you've You've got to look at, you know, all the varying paths that exist between businesses as taxpayers, individuals as taxpayers, and the voice that individuals can have. I mean, we've all seen the power that, you know, young people like Greta Thunberg have in sort of influencing huge political change around the narrative on the importance of sustainability. But then I think you've got to pick up like the other key players, which I've already mentioned. So the investor base, uh, the mm. media, I think, is a really key player in in, in communicating and educating. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the different the governmental bodies and and each of their roles. And and I don't think this is limited to Treasury or you know the relevant authority. This is much bigger. I think this is about business investment. This is about, as you said, Carl, actually rewarding good behaviours of organisations that are trying to change uh, how they do business for the better. Um, and I guess, you know, for me, there is no one answer to that question about how we best communicate. I think it becomes mm. incumbent on everyone who's involved in that ecosystem to do their bit to communicate. And, and only by each of mm. us nudging that up a notch can we create a sort of crescendo around the discussion? Um, and I'd like to think that actually we're in a really exciting time where actually this conversation can be happening. We, we know we've got some major conferences mm -hmm. coming up later in the year with things like COP26 happening in Glasgow. But beyond that, there are a number of other, you know, international discussions happening in this space. And I, yeah. I kind of see this all as a sort of positive movement in the right direction and, and then it's just I guess conversations and opportunities like this that will also add to that noise and add to the kind of the debate around well yeah. how, how can be a, a really beneficial tool in getting us where we where we want to be. I think that's probably a good place for us to to wrap up actually. I, I think um, ending on that positive note is a really sort of good one because I'm very keen that we you know deliver that message that tax can be a force for for good and and as and as you say you know as we roll forward to cop 26 as we really look to accelerate the ex, the allocation of finance to green initiatives and support those the importance of the tax system and the, the critical role that it plays 
in delivering on those objectives is key. So I can't thank you both enough for your incredibly interesting and valuable input on this podcast today. And I look forward to continuing the discussion with you because it's not over yet. Thank you. Thank you very much.